Good morning, HKC. Thank you so much for having me this morning. It's great to be here. I do want to let you know that I bring greetings from a little church in Waiehu on Maui. And uh, we want you to know that we treasure your partnership, that we pray for you on rotation regularly. And so we're constantly getting updates about what's going on at the, the life and the life and the ministry of HKC. And so we're very, very happy uh, to consider you faithful partners in the gospel. Uh, just thank you so much for your prayers and for all the support that you guys give to us. Uh, we're very grateful. I'm going to be reading our sermon text, which is going to be found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. So I'll read that, and then I'll pray for us. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Hear the word of the Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us this morning to see your glory in your word and the intention of your word in your people for the good of this church, for the spread of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to ask yourself this question. Does doctrine matter? Does doctrine really matter? Another way you could ask that is, do the things that we believe, do the things that we teach as a church actually matter? And as people answer that, some might say that, well, at the end of the day, really Doctrine doesn't matter that much. It doesn't really matter what we believe and what we teach. What we should be really focused on, what we should be really concerned about is loving God, loving others, reaching the world. Doctrine should not be our focus. Doctrine only distracts. Doctrine only divides. Doctrine only puffs people up with pride. Doctrine only unnecessarily complicates relationships with one another and within the church. Christianity isn't really about doctrine. It's about love. Others might say, well, that's a silly question. Of course, doctrine matters because doctrine is really all that matters. Christianity isn't about holding hands and loving one another and singing kumbaya around the fire pit. It's about teaching and preaching all Christ's commands. It's about knowing and proclaiming doctrinal truth. It's about confronting doctrinal compromise. That is our highest and chief concern as a church. And what happens is either you care about doctrine and you don't care about love, or you care about love and you don't care about doctrine. One values doctrine and devalues love, and the other devalues love 
and values doctrine. And what happens anytime we start to think like this, we end up totally misunderstanding both doctrine and love and their relationship to one another. So HKC, if there's one thing that you take away this morning, it is this. Doctrine really does matter. And it matters. It matters because through sound doctrine, God wants to create in his church. God wants to create in his people love for God and love for others. That's what doctrine is meant to do. Doctrine is not an end in itself. Doctrine is meant to create within the church, a church that abounds in love. And so, beloved, you must love doctrine. You must care about doctrine. Every single member of Hawaii Kai Church has to be committed to growing in understanding doctrine and guarding doctrine, cherishing doctrine, celebrating doctrine, and living out sound doctrine in all of our lives. And so to help us with that, I, I just want to highlight two realities from our text this morning. The first one is your charge in verses 3 to 4 your charge. Look at verse 3 with me. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now, if you're familiar with Paul, you, you read this and you just feel this sense of urgency because there's something really important that Paul wants to address. And so instead of giving his kind of his routine thanksgiving to the churches, he cuts through the pleasantries here and he kind of gets straight to the point. And so why did he leave Timothy here in Ephesus? Why did he urge Timothy to remain in Ephesus? Look at the text. It was so that Timothy might charge certain persons to stop teaching different doctrine. Look at verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Why? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Timothy must charge them. This is a military word. This isn't just some casual suggestion that Timothy is supposed to bring to the church in Ephesus. Like, hey guys, hey, uh, you probably shouldn't be diving into this stuff. You probably should stop and think about what's going to happen if you give in to these types of teaching and the effect that it's going to have on you and your soul and the world around you. He, he's not supposed to give some casual suggestion here. This is a weighty, a serious, uh, an authoritative command. Timothy must confront and silence these teachers with authority and with urgency. Why? Because what they were teaching, as Paul says, was different doctrine. That word there is, it could be translated strange doctrine, foreign Doctrine. It's the same idea in Israel when they weren't supposed to worship strange gods to offer foreign sacrifices or when the men of Israel were supposed to stay away from the forbidden or foreign or strange woman. It's the same concept. In other words, this teaching that was starting to circulate in the church, it deviated from the gospel. It was a deviation from Christian orthodoxy. And what this implies, beloved is that the church 
already had an established standard of doctrine that had been handed down to them by the apostles. Jude 3 describes this as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And this apostolic teaching was recognized by the whole church as something that was good, faithful, profitable, acceptable, and sound. It was something that needed to be guarded. And yet what you find here is that this new teaching that was going around in Ephesus, it wasn't just contrary to the sound doctrine handed down to them by the apostles that they've been entrusted with. It actually threatened the souls of the believers in Ephesus. This wasn't just a different doctrine. This was a dangerous teaching. It threatened the church's health, And it threatened the church's witness in the city of Ephesus. Paul goes on to describe this new teaching in verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Now, nobody here knows exactly what the precise details of these myths and these genealogies were. But what we do know from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, is that these myths were godless myths. They were contrary to the doctrine of God, and they resulted in godless living. They were contrary to holiness. They did not produce in those who believe them a type of holiness in their lifestyle. We know from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that those who wandered off into these myths departed or wandered from the gospel. We know from Titus chapter 1, verse 14, that these were Jewish myths. They were based on the commandments and the teachings of men rather than the teaching of God. And we know from verses 6 to 7, right after our text, that these myths had something to do with a kind of misunderstanding and misapplication of Old Testament law. And so we don't know the precise details about them, but what we do know is the result that these myths were producing. This is the result. Look at verse 4. They promote, that is these myths, these endless genealogies, these useless distractions promote speculations All it's doing is just promoting mere speculative thought. Doesn't have anything to do with reality or who God is or what God wants in the church. They promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now, if you remember, Paul warned the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 20. You guys remember? He warned the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 that from among you, brothers will arise wolves who will distort the truth and threaten the flocks who be on guard. What do we find here? Exactly what Paul warned about is happening here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And so what this means is that it's very likely that many of those who promoted this new teaching in Ephesus were actually recognized leaders in the church. They were men, as Paul says, who were charged as stewards of God. They were supposed to be good stewards of God's gospel, of his kingdom, of his advancing the church throughout the world. And yet, what have they done? 
They've rejected this stewardship from God. They've rejected simple faith in the gospel, simple trust in God's word, and they have replaced it with useless speculations, with worthless, empty distractions. And so for the sake of the church and for the spread of the gospel in Ephesus and for God's glory in the world, Paul is very clear. Timothy must confront and silence these teachers. Now, my kids, I have two older kids. Uh, they are super helpful with our one-year-old, Nehemiah. So we just, had a, we just had a baby a year ago, and they're super helpful with him, but there is one thing that they are not helpful with. There is one thing that my children, the older children, will avoid, like the plague. You know what that is? That's dirty diapers, right? So helpful with everything else except dirty diapers. And, and even though they know if I, if I dropped my Legos, if I stopped doing what I was doing and I came here and I got involved and I, I helped out with these diapers, this would really serve mom because she's tired. This would help dad. This would be loving Nehemiah to help him and care for him in this way. Even though they know all these things, they will not touch it with a 10-foot pole. And in a, in a similar way, beloved, especially in Hawaii, we tend to stay as far away as possible from confrontation. You just sweep that bugger under the carpet. You know, you can see it bulging in the carpet. We're just going to act like it's not there. And as long as everybody acts like it's not there, then eventually that bulge is just going to disintegrate and disappear. You know what that's called? That's called conflict avoidance. We have, in many ways, perfected the art of being conflict avoiders. And I'm not saying that we should love conflict, but we also shouldn't avoid conflict at all cost. Timothy couldn't do that. Timothy cannot avoid this conflict. He must dive headlong into this conflict in Ephesus. Timothy couldn't avoid this, and neither should you. Church, what this means is that you should be willing to lovingly, humbly, courageously step into conflict to address error among you. And I'm not just talking about doctrinal error. Think about it. Anytime you see your brother or sister in the church, because we are a family, we are one body, and we're going to... If we're one body, we're going to be around each other. We're going to be noticing things in each other's lives. And anytime you see a brother or a sister in the church who is starting to walk down a spiritually destructive path, what you don't want to say is, I ain't touching that. Do you know what it will cost me to get involved in that issue, in this thing going on here? Do you know how potentially awkward that could be or how misunderstood I could be or misrepresented I could be if I got involved in this conflict? And so you know what? I'm just going to act like it's not there. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. That's what you don't want to do. When you see your brother or sister in the church walking down a spiritually destructive path, you should pray, oh God, give me more love. 
Give me more humility. Give me more courage. Help me to dive headlong into confrontation that I don't want to be a part of, but I'm a part of it because I love this brother. I love this sister. I want their good. I want their holiness. I want the glory of God in their lives and in our church and in our relationships. And so help me to do what I cannot do on my own. And then by faith, you go. You have that conversation. You ask those uncomfortable questions. And what this will mean, church, is that sometimes there's going to be times where the Bible, and if you have a church covenant, I tried looking on a website, I couldn't find it, but I'm assuming that you guys have a church covenant. The Bible and your church covenant is going to require that you step into conflict with one another. It's going to require that you confront others struggling in sin. And this also means that there will be times where you will need to be the one who's confronted. It's not just like you're the sin sniffer, you're the one in the church that puts everybody in check, but then you never need to be corrected. No, all of us need help. All of us need each other's help in avoiding bad teaching and sinful, reckless living. And we don't do this because it's enjoyable. We don't do this because it's easy. We don't do this because we think that we're better than other people. I'm sure that this charge that was given to Timothy was extremely difficult. It was extremely costly. It wasn't like Timothy got left in Ephesus and all the false teachers were there like clapping for him, just giving him a standing ovation. We're so, we're so glad you're here, Timothy. Thank you so much. Tell me all the ways that we're deviating from the gospel. Show me all the ways that my life is just messed up and I'm heading for destruction. Just bring it on, Timothy. They weren't like that. I'm sure people hated Timothy. And they didn't hate Timothy because he was a jerk. That's different. I'm sure they did not like Timothy speaking truth in love to them. And yet Timothy went on and did this. And beloved, we do this because biblical confrontation is love. It is loving. It is right. And it is always worth it. Biblical confrontation is never enjoyable. It is rarely ever easy. And it will always, always cost you. But it is always, always, always worth it. We are trying to help one another into the kingdom. There's a wide path that leads to destruction. We're trying to help our brothers and sisters stay on the straight and narrow. We're trying to help each other into the kingdom of God. Biblical confrontation is always going to be necessary in the church. It's just always going to be there because we are all sinners. And it is always worth it for you to be involved. You must lovingly, humbly, courageously confront destructive doctrinal error and sin among you, HKC. This is your charge. The second reality I want to show you in this text is your goal. Your goal. Look at verse 5. The aim or the goal of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
I love when the Bible's so clear. So what's the aim of the charge, church? It's love. The aim of the charge is love. The aim of Timothy's confrontation is love. The point of confronting and silencing these false teachers wasn't to shame or mock them. It wasn't for Timothy's self-promotion and self-exaltation. It wasn't because Timothy was high maka-maka and thought he was better than everybody else. It was because he loved the church. He loved the God who saved him. And he wanted to see God exalted in the church. And it led him to this charge, to fulfill this charge. The aim was love, that love would abound in the church And this is important to understand that love, true, biblical love, will never, ever, ever flourish in a church where bad doctrine and reckless living is allowed to thrive. It's very important. Love will never, ever flourish in a church where bad doctrine and reckless living is allowed to thrive and grow. And this charge, the aim of this charge, this goal really applies not just to Timothy's charge here, but it really applies to all of Christian doctrine. Think about it. The aim of all sound doctrine is love. The reason why you read your Bible, Christian, the reason why you sit under biblical preaching, the reason why you learn about God and about the world, and about your place in the world, and about what God wants to do in the world, through the church, and all the ways that he accomplishes that through the glory of his son in the gospel. The reason why you learn doctrine and theology isn't so that you can have your spiritual ego explode. It's so that you can grow in love. The aim of the charge is love. That's the goal. That the love of God might grow up within your soul. And as the love of God grows up in your soul, it overflows into every relationship in your life. Just a deeper love for God, a deeper love for your neighbor. Sound doctrine, ultimately, What this means is that sound doctrine is meant to make you more like Jesus. Doctrine is meant to transform your life. It's meant to make you look and think and act and relate to others like Christ. Sound doctrine is meant to make you more like Jesus. The more that you learn, the more that you love And what this means is that the one who knows the most theology, the most doctrine, that person really should be the most loving, humble person in the room. The more that you learn about God, the more that you learn about humanity, the more that you learn about Christ and the gospel and all of its implications for our lives together, the more that you grow in doctrine, the more you should grow in love. And so you should ask, is that happening in my life? 
been a Christian for 18 years, 30 years, 50 years. I've heard lots of sermons, done lots of Bible studies. I know the Bible, but is it producing something in my life, something tangible that looks like Jesus? Is that happening in my soul, in my life, in my relationships? Is that happening in our churches? Do our churches look like Christ? Are they abounding in love? Beloved, do not believe the lie that is in our culture, especially American evangelicalism, that sound doctrine kills love. Doctrine doesn't kill love. What we find here is that sound doctrine fuels love. It's like the gasoline in my forerunner. It just makes it go. It fuels love. It creates love. Sound doctrine motivates love. Sound doctrine guards love. The aim of sound doctrine is love, a church abounding in love. And so if you are strong in doctrine, but you are weak in love, you've totally missed the point. The goal of sound doctrine is love. Notice here, love is grounded in three gospel realities. In other words, this love is is produced by the gospel and it has specific characteristics that only come from the gospel of Jesus. Love here is rooted in three gospel realities. First, It's love from a pure heart. Love from a pure heart. That means that this is love that flows from a heart that that has experienced the forgiveness of sin. It's love that flows from a heart that has been purified by King Jesus. It's a heart that has been cleansed by the new birth, a heart that has been washed by the regeneration of the Spirit, a heart that enjoys moment by moment forgiveness through confession, a heart that loves to obey Jesus. And a life of love will always flow from a pure heart. And a love like this, from a pure heart, is the goal and intended result of sound doctrine. Second, it's love from a good conscience. Love from a good conscience. Now, every single person in this room right now, every single one of you, have been created in the image of God. And as a result of that, what that means is that God has written His law on your heart so that you know right from wrong, and he's given you a conscience, which has, which has often been referred to as an internal moral compass. And this conscience either condemns you when you fail to obey God's law, or it commends you when you, when you do obey God's law. And a good conscience is just a synonym for a clear conscience, or a conscience that has found peace. It's a conscience that has found rest or peace in Christ. Freedom from the burden of sin, freedom from the guilt of iniquities. And so think about it. As a Christian, you no longer live in unrepentance and instead you are daily trying to fight your sin and because of that, you actually can have the gift of a clear conscience. And then when you fail, you can actually maintain a peace of conscience because your righteousness is not dependent on your law-keeping. 
but on Christ who perfectly fulfilled God's law for you. And so, beloved, you can have a clear conscience because you're walking in holiness. And when you fail, you can have a clear conscience because your righteousness isn't based on your personal obedience, but on Christ's perfected righteousness in your place. The gospel gives you a good conscience and a life of love will always flow from a good conscience. And a love like this from a good conscience is the goal and the intended result of sound doctrine. Third, it's love from a sincere faith. Sincere faith. All this means is that it's love that flows from genuine trust in Jesus. That word they're sincere, it, it literally is without hypocrisy. What you see is what you get. There's no hidden agendas, no fine print, no unspoken expectations, no strings attached to my obedience and my love for Christ. There's no he, uh, hidden sins or secret sins. There's nothing phony there. It's just sincere, simple trust in Jesus and genuine motivations for love and service and obedience. And a life of love, beloved, will always flow from a sincere faith. And a love like this from a sincere faith is the goal and intended result of sound doctrine. And so you should ask yourselves, isn't that what you want most? As a Christian and as Hawaii Kai Church, isn't that what you want most? Don't you want this kind of love from a, a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith? Don't you want this type of love in your soul? Don't you want this type of love in your church, in our churches? Don't you want this for your wives or for your husbands, for your children and your grandchildren? Don't you want this for your family and for your friends and for your neighbors and your coworkers? Don't you want this kind of love? from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith to permeate all of Hawaii Kai. And not just Hawaii Kai, but that this kind of love would characterize all of these islands and that God's glory through it would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that what you want most? That is, every Christian wants that. And if that's what you want, you must value sound doctrine. The aim of sound doctrine is love. That's your goal. That's your goal. And what's very interesting, as you continue to work your way through uh, the, the rest of chapter one, what you find is that this goal was actually under attack in Ephesus. This goal was being threatened by the false teaching in Ephesus. And, and what you read in chapter one is that there were men like Hymenaeus and Alexander, among others in the church, who were making shipwreck of their faith by abandoning sound doctrine and the love that sound doctrine was meant to produce in them. And so they shipwrecked their faith. That's the danger. 
That's the ultimate threat, beloved. If we neglect our charge, if we neglect the goal of the charge, the ultimate danger is shipwrecking your faith. So this morning, if you are wandering, if you are drifting, if you are rejecting the sound doctrine of God's word as the sole and final authority over your life, if the doctrine that you've learned over the years has not produced the kind of love that makes you think and speak and look like Jesus, then it is the kindness of God to expose us, to cut us deep, and to heal us. And so it is God's kindness, if that is true about you this morning, to call you to repentance to trust in Christ who died for sinners, who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who poured out his spirit, who promises to come again for all those who put their hope and trust in him. Trust in Christ this morning. Beloved, sound doctrine matters. What we believe, what we teach as a church, has eternal ramifications. It matters. And so grow in it. Feast on it. Cherish sound doctrine. Treasure sound doctrine. And live out everything that we are learning. Live it out. Live out the doctrine that you know. And make sure that through it all, your aim is always love. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take your word and that you would help us, that you would change us, that you would implant your word deep into us and bring effectual transformation to make us a people who are marked by love. Thank you that you have done this, and we pray that you would continue to do this through your word, by your spirit, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.